Asia Pacific Currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning, good morning, listeners, and wake up, Giselle. Oopsie daisy. I was look. I was actually going to by sa- surprise the start of the show. I, I was going <laughs> to say that song was for you because it says because I'm awesome. But after that mistake, I'm, I think the title's really is for me because I'm awesome. <laughs> By the Dolly Rots, which I think is probably more apt for you. So there you go. Thanks, um, Annie and uh, Marcus. So there's your breakfast for your show and your apt music. Certainly woke us up. A bit of nothing like a bit of head banging early in the morning. Anyway, good morning, Giselle. I'm Pierre Morrow. I'm Giselle Hannah. We're taking you through to 9:30 this morning. Of course, you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents, which is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Uh, you can find us on the web. All the W we're also on Twitter and Facebook, so find us on those social media platforms. Uh, before I even let Pierre get another breath in, um, we are still working on those websites. We haven't launched the new ones yet, um, but we will keep uh, your... Um, Interest peaked, uh, and as soon as it's ready to go, we'll let you know. And we'll have to have a cake when eventually all all done in here. We can eat a cake, and and uh, and you know we can broadcast the noise of eating a cake. But um, anyway, that'll be you know, something new. Anyway, on today's program, um, um, we've just got uh, four news items from the region because our main interview is actually a bit of a long one, eighteen minutes long, with uh, Joe Dar, which uh, we've had him before in the region, and it's. Uh, pretty much an analysis of some of the tensions uh, in West Asia and around that uh, region, especially in relation to the continuing Arab Spring and the um, Iran-USA tensions. But um, it's uh, just on two minutes past nine o'clock. And don't forget, if you haven't um, put, uh, paid up those radio pledges, uh, please do. Um, you can do it in person, over the phone, uh, on the internet. Um, in many ways you can do it but uh, keep us on the air but we go for our first news item we go to South Korea where on um, last Monday 3rd of July more than 100,000 public sector workers took took part in strike actions across South Korea many more smaller actions and protests have been held throughout this week These protests were around the issue of precarious works, with hundreds of thousands of workers stuck in casual, short-term or outsourced employment contracts. You could really talk about Australia as well on this issue. But in South Korea, every year on the 1st of July, the Act on Dispatch Workers, i.e. agency workers, and the Act on Fixed-Term Contracts falls due. Now, what this means is uh, that on this date, precarious workers' contracts should then become regularised if they keep working after this date. So, instead, termination slips are sent out by employers en masse to these workers. And, of course, many of these workers get terminated, but then are rehired in the following weeks and months again on a precarious contract. The... um, 
in addition, part of these uh, protests were the fact that many of these workers are prevented by the legislation to bargain collectively as they are seen as individuals and not part of a greater workforce. All sounds incredibly um, similar and you go, yep, just insert the country. In Taiwan on Thursday, the 20th of June, close to 2,500 flight attendants of Taiwan's private commercial airline, EVA Air, went on strike after 20 failed negotiation meetings with management since April 2017. The protest was organised by the Toy, uh, Tao, excuse me, Tao Yuan Flight Attendants Union and this strike represents the largest private sector strike in Taiwan since the end of the KMT dictatorship's martial law in 1987. The workers, who are all women due to EVA's women-only hiring policy for flight attendants, are demanding the end to excessively long work shifts, higher pay, better working conditions an increase in travelling expenses, among others. The final catalyst for the strike was an incident in January of this year when a notorious passenger, known for throwing tantrums, forced a flight attendant to wipe his backside on the toilet after defecating. The victimised flight attendant revealed that similar behaviours on the part of this same passenger had occurred repeatedly, but that EVA management had chosen to reprimand the crew instead of blacklisting the passenger. That passenger must be paying a lot of money. Extraordinary. It's, it, well, it, it, yes, it's, it's almost um, uh, speechless, really speechless, um, what can happen. But um, all, all power to you, um, comrades, there. We go to India. Um, we're close to a 1,000 car workers employed by Ford's India Sanan facility in Gujarat went on strike this week in protest against the dismissal of, uh, of a worker who also is a union leader at this facility. This dispute comes at the back of another protest in February where over 800 workers took industrial actions that lasted over a month in a dispute over wages. The company said that the dismissal was for disciplinary reasons but has not produced any evidence to back this up. The dispute is continuing with ongoing talks with the union and the local labour department. And in Thailand, last Thursday, the 28th of June, Sirawat Janyu Seritiwat, excuse me, 27, he's 27, was attacked by four men wielding clubs near his home in a Bangkok suburb, leaving him in hospital with serious head injuries. This is the second time in less than one month that Janyu has been assaulted by unknown thugs. Since the start of this year, there have already been numerous attacks against activists. Eka Chai Hongkan Wan was physically assaulted three times in January, March and May, and his car was set on fire twice. Anurag Giantawanich was attacked twice in April and May. Sirawat Seri Thiriwat was attacked twice, both times in June. The most recent attack on the 28th of June left Siriwat seriously injured. This is quite clearly a systematic campaign of violence against critics of the military government and it's reached such a level that Amnesty International has protested to the Thai government about these attacks. Most of these activists are also facing lengthy prison sentences as they've been charged with sedition, violation of the Public Assembly Act and the Computer Crimes Act. 
quite a uh, terrible situation there really where um, obviously the the state it's really um, cracking down and that's um, really the end of the news items uh, that we have uh, for you today but I just want to make just one uh, point is that uh, yesterday was uh, uh, the NADOC march and now, what does NADOC stand for? It's about... It's can the you, National it? Aboriginal... Um, uh, and N-A- Islander? Uh, Aboriginal and Day Islander. Day of Commemoration. Day of Observance Committee. Observance Committee. And it, so NADOC started as a day and it is uh, now a week and, it, and actually sometimes two weeks. That's right. And um, yesterday was a march in Melbourne, basically uh, for Aboriginal rights. And there was um, fantastic. The, whole, the community and supporters came out and there were um, thousands upon thousands of people that marched through the street. Um, so well done, um, uh, sisters and brothers. And that's the all that we've got you for the news uh, roundup for today it's just on nine o'clock here on uh, asia pacific currents on your favorite community radio station we'll go to a quick announcement and we'll come back with our main interview for the this program it's not too late to donate it's not too late to donate it's not too late to donate to 3CR Radiothon 94198377 or check our website 3cr.org.au As many people would be aware, uh, over the last few months there's been incredible tensions um, in West Asia between Iran and the USA with Iran uh, being threatened by bombing and invasion by uh, the, the US. Um, we um, caught up with uh, Joe Dar, who is an academic and a socialist activist uh, and also he's a recent author. Uh, of the of the book, uh, well, is the author of the recent book uh, Syria after the uprisings: the political economy of state resilience. So um, we caught up with Joe this week, and um, not just to talk about um, the tensions around Iran and the USA, but also about the um, the so-called Arab Spring and after eight years where all that is at. The so-called Arab Spring started in two thousand eleven. And while in every country the dynamics are different, the process is still shaking the all political economic orders of these countries. Can you give us a bit of an overview of where the popular movements in West Asia are at at the present moment? Yes, thank you. First of all, to have me again on your station. Uh, definitely um, the revolutionary processes that started at the end of 2010 in Tunis and beginning of 2011 uh, has not stopped even though levels of resilience and resistance is very different according to to each country, the situation, the the level of uh, war and devastation. New countries that have witnessed popular uprisings first six months of 2019, we've seen the fall of two dictators, uh, Bouteflika in Algeria and uh, Omar al-Bashir in Sudan following massive demonstrations that are ongoing until today. Despite repressive message, uh, measures from these regimes, uh, people, uh, protesters are asking for a complete change politically, economically from these regimes. So this is very interesting uh, and it gives energies to progressists in the region and I think throughout the world 
by saying that these revolution processes have not been completely repressed. We even see, you know, signs of resilience in different different countries of the region that witness, you know, while even in in cases like Syria, even though the regime, the Assad, the despotic regime, has more or less taken control of the far majority of the country, you still see signs of resilience in areas outside of its control. And that is power is not completely guaranteed by forms of dissent on the ground. Other countries have also witnessed some forms of protest movements, social movements we've seen in Morocco for the past few years, whether on the social, socio-economic aspect against neoliberal policies. And in Tunis, it's still uh, ongoing protest movement. Forms of women's rights have worked forward and workers are still trying to, to defend themselves and achieve some forms of economic gain. So, as I said in the opening, you know, the revolutionary processes are still open because the reason for the outbreak are still present. Repressive policies, authoritarian regimes, socio-economic uh, injustice in the region, and various forms of foreign interventions, whether being international or regional. So people are still, despite the difficulties, trying to build something new in the region. We might get back uh, some of the popular movements later on in the in the interview, but I just want to have a, a look at one of these crises, which uh, is is Yemen, where not only there is a humanitarian catastrophe, but it would seem that smaller regional countries like the United Arab Emirates have used the internal tensions in Yemen to really increase the international profile. So are we witnessing the fracture of the old alliances and the entry of uh, smaller reactionary players? As you say, the, the terrible situation in Yemen since the, uh, the Saudi-led intervention and war against the, the Yemeni people for, since 2015 with the assistance of the UAE and at the time also support of other countries of the region, including Qatar until recently, uh, has had catastrophic humanitarian consequences on the Yemeni popular classes. Regarding UAE, UAE has developed, especially with the leadership of Abu Dhabi, which is the main political capital emirate in the UAE uh, with Dubai, has led since the mid-2000 a more a pro-interventionist policy in different countries of the region or has, while still following mostly Saudi Arabia's lead, especially when you regard the opposition to, to Iran or the, the, the political boycott of Qatar, UAE is very much following the lead of Saudi Arabia. This does not mean that some Rivalry still exists, notably in the case of Yemen, where they have been backing, even though they're part of the same coalition, some different uh, actors. They have pushed for the secessionists, you know, the, the separatists of the South. Plus, they've been sending uh, tens of thousands of troops in Yemen while training new troops, local troops, and funding them uh, to fight the Houthis. So in the past 10 years, yes, UAE has consolidated its foreign policies, has been more interventionist, has a couple of bases. 
for example, Somaliland, uh, other foreign countries, and has affirmed a stronger and has consolidated its own army as well. In all these scenarios, in all these conflicts that you've talked about, how does the increasing tensions in the last couple of months between Iran and the USA fit in? Is it related to these issues or is it just a completely new conflict? It's a continuation of this, uh, first of all, this political enmity between the uh, initially between Islamic Republic of Iran and the USA since uh, the establishment of the Islamic Republic of Iran in 79, following a popular uprising and then, uh, the reactionary side of the popular movement take, took over. But obviously the, the uprisings of the 2011 opened new forms of uh, rivalries in the region. The USA witnessing several economic political problems, the failure of uh, U.S. intervention in Iraq, the financial crisis in 2008, and after the the uprising, weakened to some extent U.S. imperialism in the region. does not mean that it's still the most important, but it opened the door for various actors, including Iran, that in some ways took the opportunities of these uprisings to uh, extend its influence. It already had an influence before 2011 through Hezbollah, for example, in Lebanon, but definitely extended its own influence regarding Syria, where it helped the Assad regime. It has much more influence than before 2011. Regarding Iraq, they used the expansion of of Daesh to themselves expand their own political, economic and military influence, notably through sectarian Shia militias that are dominating the Hajj al-Shaabi, the popular mobilization militias. And in Yemen, with the, the war of Saudi Arabia, against the Houthis and against the Yemeni population, it pushed more the Houthis that had relationship in the past with Iran, but towards strengthening their the links towards them. So it is completely linked. And with the arrival of Trump, obviously uh, at the presidency of the, uh, the U.S. and putting an end in May 2018 to the nuclear uh, agreement and enforcing more sanctions in Iran, the, the, the tension has been heightened considerably. So it, it is definitely linked. It is important today with increasing threats of the U.S. of a possibility military of a possible military intervention against Iran with its allies, Saudi Arabia and Israel, to oppose uh, these threats, to oppose also the sanctions against Iran. I'm talking the, the sanctions that are hurting the popular classes of Iran that have been hit by inflation while at the same time also opposing the Islamic uh, Republic of Iran and its authoritarian regime. And it has used politically these uh, threats to increase the repression within Iran, especially since the beginning of May, against uh, trade unionists, feminists, political opponents. So it's very important to have this kind of position opposing U.S. imperialism while claiming uh, our international solidarity with the popular classes of Iran and all the progressive in Iran against the authoritarian regimes of the, the mullahs. Do you have any thoughts over the next couple of months if these wars or conflicts are going to re- remain the same or do you see the situation increasingly become more, more dangerous and uh, more open to a wider conflict developing? Unfortunately, the situation is already very dangerous in the region, very, very much tensed. But unfortunately, we might see uh, even heightened uh, tensions, even though I don't believe that Donald Trump and 
few of its advisors and the Republican Party more generally wants to, to launch a war uh, on Iran, except Bolton and the most uh, radical of its administration. But you never know, an accident can happen, like last week following the uh, the downing of a U.S. drone by the Iranian regime. So you know, we, we shouldn't be so affirmative saying not a war might not happen, will not happen because both both sides don't want it. An accident can happen. So we we have to be very careful on this. And obviously the, the situation is not is not easy, unfortunately. So we have to be very careful and again oppose any kind of threats of war on the Iranian people that would only heighten the tension and might have dramatic consequences on the people of the region because Iran has capacities of um, of reaction on the ground in the Middle East that are very important, being its uh, sponsors, uh, Shia sectarian militias in Iraq within the Hashd al-Shaabi, or through Hezbollah in Lebanon, or to some extent with the Houthis in Yemen, pushing their allies, its sponsors on the ground to react to a U.S. attack, without forgetting as well the stronger links that have been, especially since 2018 and with the new uh, leadership of the Palestinian Islamic fundamentalist movement, Hamas, that had came very much closer to, to Iran. So even an accident could lead to dramatic consequences, even worse than what we have now in the region. You've mentioned at the start about the popular movements, the working class movements that are, are still going on. What do you think have been the, the major lessons that the popular movements have learned in the last seven years during this era of uh, heightened repression? Indeed, uh, a lot of experiences have been accumulated in the past few years. Bad and good experiences, good being you know, popular movements from below, challenging the sovereignty of, of these authoritarian regimes, even in some cases pushing the dictators to resign and all the self-organization from below. At the same time, mistakes, errors have been made. And I, I think the, the biggest one is obviously the lack of progressive organizations on a, on a massive scale. But this is also the, you know, the result of three decades or even more sometimes of authoritarian regime, repressive uh, policies, especially targeting trade unionists, feminists, etc. And the second one is the inability of these progressive and democratic forces to consolidate into an independent, organized force challenging authoritarian regimes, which are the most dangerous because they own the state, basically, and they have those repressive measures. And we've seen, you know, the results of these authoritarian regimes, you know, launching destructive wars against their own people, CR being a case, you have Egypt and others, obviously, but also the Gulf regimes or Iran, Turkey, etc. And on the other side, also being independent from religious fundamentalist forces, Islamic fundamentalist forces, that even not having the same capacities of repression against popular movements have fundamentally a vision of society that is reactionary and they are also linked to various regional regimes the oppose you know democratic rights for all uh, secular state uh, rights of women etc so i think that in my view whether being the organizational aspect and the need for organizations horizontal movements 
a good way to start, but uh, uh, definitely not enough. And I think the issue of organization, not saying that we have to do a copy-paste of the 1917 Russian Revolution. Obviously, a party is not an end, but a tool to reach an end. And the second one is the capacity to be an independent political social force from the different sides of the counter-revolution locally, authoritarian regime, Islamic fundamentalist forces, and obviously opposing as well regional and international states and imperialism. You've made a number of, of good points. And so we really get to our last question. How do you think is the best way to create or to further international solidarity between worker organizations and popular movements within the region, but also globally? Uh, this is a large question, <laughs> and not an easy one, but uh, obviously uh, most needed. No, first of all, I think it's important for, to bring our society to the progressive components of these various popular movements, especially the new ones when it comes to Algeria and Sudan that are still pushing forward for progressive society and alternative society, make their voice heard, try to make links with them, try to bring financial solidarity, political solidarity, co condemn the repression against, against them, and also obviously condemn, denounce the, the role of uh, Western countries in helping these regimes. I just want to remind that, for example, so-called rapid support forces that were funded in the past few years in Sudan by the European Union in the framework of anti-migrant policies have been the ones to, to repress, leading to, to the death of hundreds of people in Khartoum, they were the tool of repression. And this is a necessity for people living in Europe to denounce the role of the European Union by consolidating the authoritarian tools of this regime or to call to so-called, for example, in Nigeria, France and other countries in Europe have called to a, a kind of smooth transition in which the regime is not uh, changed because they have a lot of political economic interest with it, or regarding these are regimes that play a role in the, in the racist anti-migrant policies of the European Union. So this is very important to call out, I think, in our policies, similar uh, regarding the US and other countries in the region or elsewhere helping these, uh, these countries. So I think, and bringing back international solidarity and not falling into forms of campism or dichotomy, as I call them, uh, saying, for example, no to the war in Iran or no to our countries intervening in it, but also putting at the center of this call international solidarity with people on the ground, with pro progressive components of their societies. This, I think, is really important. And obviously not having a large understanding of class, understanding, especially when we have a, such a strong feminist movement, Coming back throughout the world, I think pushing forward, for example, these kind of issues is also important in these countries. Alongside workers' solidarity, helping trade unions, for example, in Iran, there have been campaigns in solidarity with trade unionists and workers being imprisoned, especially this uh, past few weeks, with rising you know, demands for better working condition, wages, so it's a large agenda, but I think all these, these uh, issues are necessities for us to raise and always in the framework of international solidarity, because as I, I said it before on your radio as well, but I really believe it, uh, our destinies are linked. 
And uh, Sudan and Algeria uprising is a big hope for the region and I think for, for the whole world. There's a crisis of legitimacy of the capitalist system and the, the bourgeois domination, but we need to build a progressive uh, alternative, not only in West Asia, but throughout the world, especially against offenses of reactionary throughout the world. Well, that very uh, powerful word, Joe, to um, finish up, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would uh, would agree with you, and uh, it's just a question of uh, putting our words into action and building these organisations. So thank you very much, Joe, and uh, we wish you all the best. Okay, thank you very much for your work, as usual. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses' Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR... Radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. And we've just got 50 seconds to go, but you were just listening to uh, an interview with uh, Joseph Dar, who's an academic and social activist and an author of a recent book, Syria After the Uprisings, The Political Economy of State Resilience, uh, on the issues um, facing workers and other progressive movements in West Asia. But that's um, really all that we've got. Um, time for you've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links every week at 9 o'clock on your favourite community radio station 3CR Radio and um, stay tuned to Palestine Remember coming up straight after this but it's all for me Pierre Morrow and me Giselle Hannah and um, have a great day you've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne Australia For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.